Mark chapter 11, praise the Lord. We do honor the word of God. His words give life. Without his word, there is no life. He said you can't live by food alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So anybody that is not living daily with the word of God, they're not alive. They're not really alive. They're not healthy. They're not alive. So as a believer, fall in love with the word of God and learn how to eat it. Amen. The word of God is one of these things where you don't get to pick what you get to eat. Like all you picky eaters, when it comes to the word of God, you just got to swallow the whole thing one bite at a time. Praise the Lord. So here we're going to go. Mark chapter 11. We're going to talk about faith today. We're going to talk about forgiveness today. These two things kind of connected and without one or the other, you're just not going to have a very successful Christian life, nor faith life, nor prayer life. You won't have any miracles and you'll just kind of mess up everything. Even though you might make heaven, probably make heaven as long as you believe in Jesus, but without these two things being secure, you're just not going to be strong in the earth life. So it's a good place to always kind of run through every year at least and make sure we're on the right track. Is that cool? All right. Here we go. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God, have faith in God. So this kind of begins this idea of, okay, now it's time to trust God. And here's some parameters. Verse 23, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Notice you can't be doubting your way through this, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Notice this is where you get the mountain moving faith from. Uh, and how, how do we move mountains? Some people, some people kind of just glance over this and say, yep, just ask God to remove your mountains. But is that what the passage said? Did it say to ask God to remove your mountain? And this could be a physical mountain, but it could also be a figurative mountain like you know, a financial trouble or a health problem or a relationship issue or depression or anything like that could be a mountain in your life that's stopping you from getting from one point to the next. Notice what it says. It says, whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you said will come to pass. You'll have whatever you said. So you're going to have to say something to the mountain. So have you ever said something to the empty bank account? Have you? Have you ever said something to the little red financial report letter numbers, the parentheses? Have you ever said something when it looks like there's a deficit? You're supposed to say something to it. If it's a mountain, you say something to it. Have you ever said something to depression or to sin? Have you ever said something to the devil? You ever said something to a health problem? Don't go just asking God to do something. Go say something to the problem. So if you got some doctor's report, get the doctor's report and say, there it is right there. I'm going to say something right to that word. That's the mountain. I'm saying it to it. Be removed. Be removed. And cast it into some body of water. I don't care. Just go find some water. Find some water. Yeah, it says cast it into the sea. The sea of forgetfulness. I think the reason he used water here is so is because once you throw something in the water, you can't see it anymore. Just my, my guess at it. It helps me. It helped me. So anyway, so you're going to have to learn how to say something to your problems rather than just beg and wish and hope your way through trying to get God to answer for you. Use some authority and some faith and don't doubt in your heart about it. Verse 24, therefore, I say to you. Whatever things you desire or ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Well, that just sounds so definite, doesn't it? Whatever things, whatever things you ask or desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's so definite, isn't it? That's so absolute, isn't it? It's like... But somebody will read this and say, yeah, but he didn't really mean whatever. Like, you can't just ask for anything. Don't, don't talk, tell him that. Say, you didn't mean that. Tell Jesus, you did not mean that. No, he meant what he said. He said what he meant. He's the Lord. 
So what you have to do is get yourself into the scripture here and say, you know what? Wow, this opens the door for quite a lot here. Quite a lot. And then don't be ridiculous about it. Like, okay, I want to believe God that I could fly like a bird. <laughs> See, I can't get that. Yeah, you can't get that because you don't believe it in your heart. If you could believe it in your heart, he'd have to answer. All right, just in case you're a visitor here, um, here at Houston Faith Church, we actually kind of believe the Bible. We, we really actually believe the, the Bible, and we find, we find a way to trust the fact that even though some things sound pretty impossible, if it's in there, it's possible. Even though they go against human nature or logic, natural logic, we, we actually believe the Bible. So you've got to find a way that this could come to pass. So you mean I could ask God for $5 million if you needed it? If you needed it. Uh, when I started in the ministry, you know, I, I'd see that. And I, I even wrote it in my first book, you know. If I, if I needed to ask God, if I needed some money, I could ask God for it. But I couldn't just kind of ask God for $5 million. That was in my first book, still in there. Because that's where I was at the time. Uh, but then fast forward about 12, 15 years later, and we needed $5 million to buy this property. I had to ask God for $5 million. I had to believe God for $5 million. And I had to trust that whatever things I desired and asked when I prayed, I'd believe that I received them and I would have them. And we did. <clears throat> so you got you to start where you're at and, and don't be flippant. Don't be ridiculous. But whatever you need, you can have it. Whatever you desire and ask for, you can have it. You got to believe it in your heart. So that's real, the real, the real uh, stickler there is you, you, your conscience keeps you safe. You can't go beyond your conscience. You can't go beyond what your heart really knows, but anything your heart can see and believe, you can have. Praise the Lord. Uh, I remember when I first uh, got into the ministry, I, was, I had left the kingdom of the world, went into the kingdom of God, serving God, learning, learning, and then God, you know, called me to go and preach. And so I had an old, I had a, not an old, I had a, a pickup truck that I had bought after I graduated from college, brand new pickup truck, four wheel drive, you know, just like, uh, bud. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, just let it pass you over. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started in the ministry driving my pickup truck, and, um, but I realized pretty quickly after about the first half a year that it wasn't quite as convenient because I carried a bunch of boxes of products and tracks and all this stuff, and it's like it wasn't very convenient, and I, I like to take people out for outreaches, stuff like that. It's like, this is not very convenient, so I need to get a Suburban. And so at the time, I had, uh, I had been hearing of you know stories through the years of preachers who gave away cars and stuff. It's like, man, I would like to give away something. That'd be great. And so here I am. Uh, I want to give away my truck. But my thought is, if I give away my truck today, tomorrow, I'm hitchhiking. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so my faith wasn't there to actually do that. But what I decided was, you know what? I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to sell my pickup and I'm going to take some of the proceeds and give the money away to people. That'll be like part of a truck. And so I sold my pickup truck for 8,500 bucks. This is way back in the 1960s. No, it's not that far, <laughs> but it feels like forever ago. And uh, so I remember I sold it for 8,500 bucks. It was about seven years old. And, and I took $3,000 of it and I gave $1,000 to three different people in my church. Two were my, my covenant friends and one was a lady I thought might could use the money. And I think two out of the three I gave anon uh, anonymously. Uh, and so that was it. My heart felt so good. I got to give part of this uh, truck money away. So then I had 5,500 bucks to buy a Suburban. So I went and found a 1989. I mean, I, I, I downgraded. I downgraded from a 91 truck to an 89 Suburban that was perfect for ministry. Big old, big old boat, man. Just I can carry people and stuff in it. And uh, had air conditioning and never broke down. Just a great, great truck. 89 Suburban. And so I was driving that around for the next year, year and a half or so in ministry, and uh, everything was great. And then I remember I was out praying one night, uh, just praying in my neighborhood and just praying in tongues and such, and, and it dawned on me, you know what? 
I'm probably going to need a new Suburban at some point soon. You know, I'm thinking, I don't know when, just in, in the next year maybe, it just seemed like I was going to need a new Suburban. And uh, so I just said, Lord, I, I ask you for a, a, a newer Suburban. I'm going to go ahead and upgrade. I need, I'm going to go ahead and ask you for that now and receive now in Jesus' name. I didn't need one. I mean, I didn't, it was fine, but I knew I should ask. It just felt like I should go ahead and desire it and ask for an upgrade. And so I remember I did, and I felt good about it. I just thanked the Lord. What things soever you desire, when you, when you pray, believe you receive. So I remember receiving it. I just remember thinking, thank you, God. I know you're going to bring that to me when, I, when it's time. Well, maybe four months later, five months later, uh, my parents came to me, and they had a check in their hand, and they said, well, the family sold the timber off of the whatever lots that they had, and so they divided amongst the family, but we wanted to share ours with you, so we're giving you half. It was like 12,000 bucks. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Y'all, that's your money. That's y'all's. y'all. I don't need it. Now, at the time, I was believing God, you know, week to week, you know, just young in the ministry, and I didn't have any place to preach until I knocked on the door of churches. <laughs> can, I, can I preach here? I didn't really say it that way. I said, hey, I can help you if you want. I'm, I'm traveling, I'm preaching, I'm helping churches. You want me to help you? And so that's how I started, trusting God from week to week. And so they were trying to hand me this $12,000 check. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, I said, that's y'all's money. And then it dawned on me, wait a second. I asked God for this. This was his way of getting me the answer. And I said, take that back. I'll go ahead and receive that. Thank you very much. <clears throat> and I went... And I went and bought a 1997 Suburban, beautiful, used, but beautiful. And uh, that became my new ministry vehicle. And uh, I think about a month later, I started uh, courting Pastor Joni, maybe two months later. And I was very thankful that I wasn't courting her in the old, old <laughs> Suburban. So it all worked out. <laughs> Those things are important, young men and old men. But I've, I've seen this verse come to pass more and more and just, he, he never fail. He, he'll never fail it. If you can desire it and ask for it and believe in your heart that you receive it at the time of prayer, he'll bring it. He'll bring it to pass. He'll make sure it comes to pass for you. It's an absolute law because it's written. It's a spiritual absolute because he said he would, therefore he did. You got to go one step further than I'm hoping he will. You got to say at the time you pray, believe you receive it and you'll have it. And that settles it. He said it. He said he would do it. He did it. Not he's going to. He did it. He did it. And now I'm just coasting. Now I'm just smiling, thanking God, living my life. And it'll be on the porch when it's time. Amen. Now, if you're about to die tomorrow, use the scripture and expect to have it before you die. So sometimes timing gets involved. Other times you don't want to have to concern yourself with it. Bottom line is timing doesn't matter. Don't ever put the clock. I mean, don't put God on the, don't ever put God on the clock. Don't ever. Now God, before 3 PM tomorrow, you're going to have to do something. Don't do it like that. Don't do it like that. If, if he needs to, he'll make your deadline 315. Don't put a, time, don't put a clock on God. It, all it does is rob you of your faith. All it does is worry you to death. I mean, really to death. Just worries the faith right out of you if you're looking at the calendar and the clock. So don't do that. All right. Well, so here we are in this faith passage. And, uh, and then verse 25, we have an and. And so the and connects you to the previous verse. So uh, you'll have those things you desire when you pray, and what it, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Now, we know that God uh, would always forgive everybody. He keeps a standing forgiveness upon us, but he did promise that if you will confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. So you won't feel the forgiveness or experience the forgiveness from God if you can't do this. Okay. Now he's not unjust, so he's not going to harbor things against you, 
But you do need to get it clean before you and God. If you don't get clean before you and God, it will mess your life up. And that's really where we're headed today is that it's not the big things always that ruin your faith. It's the little things that you don't deal with. For you to get results over a long period of time, uh, it's because you apply the word of God over a long period of time. And you're quick to do it right according to the word of God. If you can stick with the word of God, then you'll have great success as a Christian. You'll have prayer success, miracle success, intervention of God's success, and you'll be happy. It's the little sins that kind of destroy your faith. It's the sins you overlook that keep your faith leaking out. So look at it again, verse 25. Whatever, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. You're going to have to be uh, quick. You read the Bible, you've got to be quick to believe it. Like if you're still worried about me thinking uh, verse 23 is real, then you've got a problem. I, I'm, not, I'm not personally offended. Don't worry. I'm not pers- and I'm not mad at you but you got a problem. If you think, oh, well, I don't know. About okay, you got a problem. Listen, if you're going to resist the word of God, you got a problem. If you're not quick to believe, you're going to fall in this category that, that the Israelites fell into in the wilderness. And it says, because they did not believe God. He made them wander for 40 years, but it says they had an evil heart of unbelief. They had an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief is evil. Not believing God's word is actually evil. People think you're evil if you, you know, well, I'm not going to go there. It's evil if you can't believe God's word. So when you read the scripture, even if it's tough, at least you could say, wow, wow, they really believe this stuff. I'll have to, I'll have to read that again. That's good. That's better than resisting. So don't get mad and throw out Christians who actually believe the Bible, even when it's tough. Somebody reads a scripture about speaking in tongues. Oh, those tongue tongue talkers. I don't know know why we need that. That's dangerous stuff. Really, it's dangerous. For your whole life, it's dangerous. All of a sudden now, you're, you're just kind of exempting yourself from God's help in so many ways. So he says, forgive. It's very important. Now, I'll I'll quote you from the love chapter, you know, the wedding chapter. The wedding chapter. Everybody reads, nobody believes. But in in the wedding chapter, I mean, did heathen wed? Heathens read this whole passage. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love. They don't even know what they're saying. I'll be at wedding sometime when I know they're all heathen. And I'll be sitting there going, yeah, glory to God, glory to God, yeah. But in that little love passage, uh, it gives you some foundation, and it says, love doesn't take account of a wrong that it suffers. Doesn't take account of a, the Amplified says it that way, doesn't take account of a suffered wrong. The New Living says it's not rude, and it does not demand its own way. I'm letting you think about that one for just a second. It is not irritable. I'm going to give you five minutes on that one. (laughs) And it keeps no record of being wronged. Now, men don't have a problem with that one. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Listen, anyone could have trouble with that, okay? You don't get to keep an account of how people wronged you. And what this means is once you get saved, you have the love of God in here. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. The love of God is different than human love. The love of God is different than human love. Here, human love loves their dog. You can relate, or their cat, whatever you... Human love... That's human love. It's not, that's not agape. Agape has nothing to do with loving your animals. Agape doesn't even have anything to do with loving your children. 
Because heathens have great love for their kids. You wouldn't see agape towards your children until they start really violating their sonship or daughtership. That's another story. Agape love is different. Agape love is this divine love that allows you to put up with everybody's wrongs against you. The closest feeling would be the mother-child love. But that's still not agape necessarily until you have to take a step of faith to not account for wrongs and not be irritable and not be rude, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the love of God is this whole different attitude of living uh, in, in proximity with other people. The love of God causes you to think differently, act differently, talk differently, and feel differently toward people. And especially toward people that wronged you. So you have a big challenge from God's word to be able to be totally free from everybody's wrongs. Not only that, you're commanded to be free from everybody's wrongs. James chapter 5, I'll quote this one. It says, do not grumble. King James says grudge, grumbling or grudging against one another. Brethren, lest you be condemned. So if you walk around, oh, I just can't believe you're teetering on grumbling and grudging, and you're about to get yourself in trouble if you can't get over it. So just get over yourself. And it says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. God knows these things. He knows what you're doing on the inside of your heart. And so you can't allow yourself to get bitter. Bitterness is, the, is a poison. Bitterness is a poison and it ruins you. <clears throat> Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said these words. He said, but I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, or vain fellow, or fool, or idiot, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You'll have to get my books of the Bible teaching to go through this in detail. But let's go to verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your, offer your gift. Notice how sincere this is, how, how serious this is. If your brother has a problem with you, don't give your offering until you try to make it right. Now some are thinking, oh good, I don't have to give any offering. <laughs> no, this is how serious it is. That if you know your brother has a problem against you, go try to make it right. I mean, obviously, sometimes people don't uh, accept your apology, or, but, but at least you did what you're supposed to do. Isn't that right? So not, you, don't even, you, can't even, you can't even really worship God if someone's holding something against you that you could talk about, maybe. Now, sometimes they run off and don't want to talk to you. That's another story. Does that make sense? I mean, let's give a little leeway here. You don't have to make sure everybody's thinking perfectly about you around the world. That would be ridiculous. But you do need to recognize when it's a brother in relationship that you're, that you're in relationship with, you need to go get right. And so if someone's coming to you, you better talk to them. If you have something against somebody, you better be talking. I'm telling you, you better be talking. I can't get any more serious about it. You better be talking to people when there's a problem in a rift. You better be talking. You better figure this out. You better apologize. You better accept the apology. You better apologize again and accept the apology. You better apologize to your blue in the face and you better accept it to your blue in the face. And I can't get any more serious about it. And if you don't live a life like this, you're missing the love of God. Amen. This is serious business. You have to have, to have a right heart toward people. They have to have a right heart. Y'all got to work things out. You do not get to just be silent and clam up and disappear. <clears throat> verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. 
Surely I say to you, you'll by no means get out of there until you've paid the last penny. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, don't, don't be making enemies everywhere and leaving them. Go make it right with people. Be a peacemaker. Go get figured out. Look at verse 44. Uh, verse 43, I mean. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for you. Uh, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Stop there. So you, you have to love your enemies. How many of you have enemies? No enemies? A few enemies here and there? You got to love them. Even if they're of your own household. You have to love your enemies. It's, a, it's easy to love people that love you. But can you love your enemies? The sign of true, true Christian love, agape love, is that you can love your enemies. You can look at people that are just the most hateful people in the world and have compassion on them. You can look at them even if they're like Tasmanian devil spinning. In traffic, you can look at people that are cussing you out and you can just say, oh, poor fellow. Have you ever felt that? If you haven't felt that, you're staying late. If you haven't felt those feelings of love and compassion and mercy on a sinner who is obviously in a terrible place, even against you, if you haven't felt those feelings, you need some help. I'm telling you, you need some help. I can't say it any higher. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Poor tax collectors. Anybody here a tax collector? Back then, they were, they were known to be immoral, bribe takers, all that kind of thing. So it's just talking about a category of sinners that everybody knows is a sinner. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you're going to have to start greeting people that you don't know. I said, you're going to have to start greeting people that you don't know. Now, in the South, here in the United States, the, in the Bible Belt, everybody pretty much greets each other with a nod. Now, if you didn't grow up around here, it's, it's very unfamiliar to you. But you're supposed to be greeting people. I said, you're supposed to be greeting people and smiling at people and being good to people even if you don't know them. And you're supposed to love those who don't even love you or don't even know you. You know, there's a big thing that goes around saying, I'll be faithful to those. I'll be loyal to those that are loyal to me. Well, that's how the world thinks, but how do we think? All right, so I think I've challenged you enough. Now what are we going to do about it? Well, if, if you're in a squabble, take some responsibility for it. Listen, you need to take some responsibility. Even if you're only 20% at fault and they're 80% at fault, take a little responsibility and say, you know what, I'm sorry for what I did. Just, just do it. I mean, they, they, you could be 1% wrong. 1% wrong. Have you ever apologized for being 1% wrong? It's a terrible feeling. It's like, if I do this, if I do this, are they going to ignore the 99%? The love of God will. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And this is, you're really trying to keep a relationship here. This is not so that you can win. It's so you can keep a relationship. Have a right motive about this. And there's obviously some exceptions. You wouldn't have to do it. But this is the pattern. So you, you try to follow this when you can. Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So there's order in you keeping right relationship with one another. 
It is not right for you to clam up and disappear from people's lives. In modern day, it's easy to do that. Well, I don't like you. I'll just leave. I don't like somebody in my company. I'm leaving. I don't like somebody in my church. I'm leaving. I don't like somebody at school. I'm leaving. I don't like somebody marriages. I'm leaving. It's a bad, bad habit. Look at verse 23. No, I don't want to do that one. Yeah, I don't want to read the whole passage there. So let's go to John chapter... No, go to Luke 17. Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Some, some people stop right there and they say, okay, see, if you repent, if you'll change, I will forgive. But I don't think you've changed. You ever heard that before? You ever thought that before? You're going to have to forgive him anyway. If he repents, it looks like he's saying if he repents, but really you need to forgive him anyway. Verse 4 kind of settles it. And if he sins against you seven times in a day... And seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So that looks like he didn't really even repent if he's doing it seven times a day. And another time it says 490 times. Peter said, how many times we got to forgive? Seven times. He goes, seven times, 70, 490 times. And then it says in a day. What he's saying is over and over and over and over and over again. You got to forgive them over and over and over and over and over again. Because a lot of times what people do is they'll repent. They'll, they'll ask for forgiveness and they'll repent, but then they'll do it again because they're, they're in a habit. They're in a bad habit. They're, they're sinners. They're Christians who sin. So don't you be holding it against them to get it perfect before you forgive them. Okay. That's the heathen way to think about it. Well, I know you're not going to change, so I'm not going to forgive you because I don't think you're sincere. You better believe all things. Love believes all things. So when they say, I'm sorry, you better take that. And if you don't take that, you're you're the violator. And the best way to get yourself through some of this is to recognize how, how God feels with you. Just when you think you just cannot put up with these people any longer. Just think, wait a second, God, I think you might be, maybe this is a good learning experience so I can understand the love of God that you have toward me because you keep on forgiving me. You keep on forgiving me. I keep redoing it and I feel bad and I say it, but you know, I'm not fully repenting forever and ever. I keep redoing it. Maybe you're trying to show me how to treat other people and just keep on loving them even though they keep on redoing it. You're going to have to live a life like this. You're going to have to get practiced at the love of God. You're supposed to be like God. The Bible says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Now he knows you're not perfect in lifestyle, perfect in action, but you better repent and expect that he forgives every time because he does. 1 John 1, 9 says that he is faithful and just to forgive us. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of unrighteousness. He's faithful and just to forgive us every single time. Are you faithful and just to forgive one another every single time? I know some people have been really hurt in life carrying stuff from childhood and all that. I understand there's some heavy weights people carry of wrongs done to them. I get it. I get it. But now that you're saved, now that you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you have access to the love of God that can free your own self from those hurts. You do. You can actually get 
totally free from those feelings. And most of the memory. And listen, not only can you be free, you must get free. You must, listen, you must get free from the hurts that people cause. You must get free. And the only way is to forgive. The only way is to forgive them. You can't just keep ignoring it. You've got to forgive them. You've got to forgive them. You must, must forgive them. And then the next question is, well, how? Okay, I'll, I'll teach you how. Are you ready? All right, let's use Mark eleven twenty three. And there's some other scriptures you could use, but here's, here's a way to look at it. Here's a way to do it. You can get free in about 20 seconds. You can be free. Or at least two minutes, you can be free right now if you'll use the scripture properly. What did Jesus say? Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast and don't doubt in my heart, but believe what I said comes to pass. I'll have whatever I said. Okay. So I'm going to say to this unforgiveness, I'm going to say to the hurt. Okay, here I go. And this is what you need to do at home. We, we can practice here a little bit, but you might need to get home and just get real serious about it. Say, okay, I'm going to say something to this mountain that's unforgiveness, this hurt. I'm going to say something to it. I'm going to say something with faith. So in the name of Jesus, I command this unforgiveness to go. That's a good start. I command it to go. I command the hurt to go. You go from me. I mean, say it with all your heart and don't doubt it. Say it for 30 seconds until you start believing it. Say it for 30 minutes if that's what it takes. Until you get so fed up with the, the mountain that it must obey. And that's what happens. Your heart will all of a sudden start believing it. All of a sudden, if you'll go 30 minutes, you won't doubt in your heart anymore. I mean, it's something that's plagued you all your life. It's like part of your life. So you're going to have to get serious about this. It might take you 30 minutes. might take you 30 hours. I don't know. Probably not. If you'll get serious about it, it'll take you about 30 minutes. And then I want you to say this. I forgive them. I forgive them. They might even be dead. I, for, I forgive them. I forgive them. I'm not holding it against them. I'm not holding it against them. God, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. So all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like I'm supposed to. And I'm praying for someone like I'm supposed to. And I'm being good to someone that was bad to me. And I'm, I'm blessing someone that cursed me. I'm just following Jesus. I'm just saying, I'm just doing what he said. It goes against human nature. It goes against all things natural. But it taps you into the power of God. And that's where Jesus becomes the healer of the broken heart. He's the healer of the broken heart. He came to heal the broken hearted. But, but he does need us to follow and fall in line with scripture. And do his word. So this is where you say, I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. And you don't really want to at the time. You're, 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 it feels like you're still a little bit upset. But I forgive them. I forgive them for doing that, God. Don't, don't hold it against them. They didn't know what they were doing. They're just, they were just sinning. They're just sinful. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Be, be, do a miracle in their life, God. Be good to them. Do a miracle. Help them, God. Save their soul. Turn their life around. Be so wonderful to them like you've been wonderful to me. Save them. Have mercy on their sins. Forgive them of their sins, God. Don't hold it against them because I'm not. That's how you start talking. And if you'll do that for about 30 minutes, you'll start feeling forgiveness. You'll feel light. You'll feel like it's gone. The hurt will disappear. And if it doesn't disappear within an hour and a half, you come tell me next week. You come tell me next week, or you come up here to the altar and you get prayer. I'm telling you this will work. I'm telling you it'll work. If you'll believe it, it'll work. But you need to get free from unforgiveness. You've got to forgive even the worst sinners in your life. Those that might have destroyed everything. Divorce stuff. Ex-spouse. I mean, you've got to forgive them. Abuse, you got to forgive them. You got to forgive them. And you can do it. Hallelujah. Uh, go to Ephesians 4. Let me show you how se severe it can be if you don't. 
Ephesians 4, verse 26 says, Be angry. But you got to keep, please keep reading. Be angry and do not sin. Listen, some things do make you angry, you know, when they forget the ketchup in the bag. Okay, fine. But don't sin. Don't curse every fast food restaurant just because you didn't get your order right. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That means get over it quickly. Nor give place to the devil. And really marriages should, should apply this. Like we ain't, going to, we ain't going to bed till we get this figured out. And of course, you can't figure out every trouble in a marriage, right? Have you, have you learned that yet? If you're married, have you learned that you cannot figure out every problem? You cannot fix every communication conflict. Have you noticed? But at least you can get over it before you go to bed. Nor give place to the devil. I want you to see that term. We give place to the devil when we can't get these things in our heart right. It gives place to the devil when you can't forgive somebody. If you harbor bitterness or grudging or grumbling, it gives place to the devil. And he'll show up in the house, he'll show up in the car, he'll show up all over you until, I mean like forever, until you get this fixed. Well, life's just going out of control. The devil has an entrance somehow. somehow. You better figure this out. You gotta assess some things. And when things go crazy like this, that's the first time that you need to judge yourself. And that's the first sign I gotta judge myself. What is going on? Am I right in every way? Am I right? Or am I giving place to the devil? Look at 2 Corinthians 2. Second Corinthians 2. Now, this is in reference, Paul's writing his second letter to the church at Corinth. The first letter, he was dealing with a problem they were having because one of the, the men in there was fornicating with his father's wife, stepmother, something like that. And so Paul had given them instruction. Hey, listen, if this guy's not repented, you got to call him on the carpet, basically. And if he doesn't repent, you got to get him out of there. Otherwise, his sin will spread and everybody will wonder, how come you're not doing something about this open sinner? I mean, if you're dealing with sin in your life, we'll help you. But if it becomes open and you're, you know, openly not repenting, we're going to have to handle you. Absolutely. Here at church, we have to handle people that are openly not repenting. It's not right. <clears throat> so he's dealing. He, he wrote the first letter to tell them, excommunicate this guy. And then this letter, he's uh, referring to it. And he's saying, hey, listen, if this guy's repented, you, you accept him back and forgive him. If he's, if he's changed and he has remorse, you get him back in there. I forgive him too. If you forgive him, I forgive him. Get him back in there. So here's what he says. So now the, now the, the stipulation is now back on the church to get it right in their hearts. So you can't harbor any ill feelings even when it was a, a sinner or a sin or a, some really weird thing that happened. Look. Verse 10, now, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. It's like a serious relationship Paul's having with Jesus. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Stop there. He's saying, listen, I, I, I'm forgiving him, and you've got to forgive him too, lest Satan get an advantage. Listen, Satan gets an advantage in your life when you can't forgive. Very, very clear. Very, very clear. And really, any, anything stepping out of the love walk is a, is a blinking, flashing light for demons. When you don't have a right heart toward people and aren't acting right toward people, blinking, flashing light. <clears throat> I uh, preached for this... Uh, pastor in Jackson, uh, not Jacksonville, uh, East Texas, Zavala, I think, Texas. But, uh, and he was, a, he was a good brother, and he let, he let me come preach, and I helped his church a little bit. But he told me the story in his office. He said that, he said that there came a time in his life when he, he got like five diseases, 
And he, he said that he had sugar diabetes and high blood pressure and hemorrhoids and ulcers. And I can't remember the fifth one. I'd written these, these down, but I can't remember the fifth one. But I knew it was five. And he said his life was just getting destroyed until he dealt with his unforgiveness. And he said the reason he couldn't forgive is because of his pride. He said, but I finally realized I'm going to die if I don't do this. So he got his heart right and he forgave and instantly he was healed of everything. I'm like, I'm going to write that one down. I've heard a lot of stories and I don't, ever, I don't always write them down because that's just how I am. I'm very happy to hear everything. I just don't care to record it. And then I'm like, you know, I should have recorded all those things. When I, my first few years in the ministry, I, I wasn't big on taking pictures and video. Um, just because I'm like into the ministry. It's like, no, all I care about is just helping the people. Well, now I wish I'd have taken more pictures and video because there's sure a lot of fun stuff I could have seen. But anyway, that's just me. Maybe I'll get to see him in heaven. Yes. <clears throat> Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. So, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll find yourself, you know, storming around the house, screaming at the devil. Well, if you're, if you're having to do that very long, maybe you need to back up and check yourself. Where's the door? What's going on? How? And then after you, listen, listen, I need to do this disclaimer. After you've checked yourself, after you've judged yourself, don't keep judging. After you've just opened yourself up and said, Lord, is there something? Do I got anything again? Am I, am I okay in my heart with everything all right? Am I doing okay? Am I right with God? Am I right with people? I, I've forgiven everybody. I'm clean. I feel clean. Once you get clean and feel clean, don't keep asking that question. Don't keep worrying and, and, and acting like there's no answer. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong? What am I? Don't do that. Be honest and sincere. Let the voice of your spirit, your conscience dictate what you need to know at the time. And if you don't hear anything, there's nothing. Trust that so that you can then turn your attention to the the real demon at play and command him out of the house. But if you're screaming at the demons all day long, you know, there might be some other deal. And you don't need, you know, a bunch of people to come over and do weird stuff in your house to get the demons out. Don't do that. That's not how you get demons out. Get demons out with your heart and your mouth. Get demons out with the name of Jesus and your authority and the power of the Holy Ghost. That's how you get demons away from you. So as soon as you say it, they heard you. Now hush up. As soon as you say it for 30 minutes and make sure that you felt the power of God, you hush up. And out, you're gone. You, you have to go now. I said it, you're gone. And if, there, if the demon or the problem or the hindrance is still, you know, it didn't work, it didn't work. You say, no, 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 it, it did. And you just ignore it for about 30 minutes and they'll be gone. And if it doesn't work, you come see me. I'm serious. It'll work every time. This is how you get the devil away from you every time. You don't play games with it. You don't do all sorts of ritual or any kind of weirdness. You just use your authority. You command it to happen. You expect it to happen. It had to happen. Jesus said, if you call on it, I'll do it. If you'll call on my name, I'll do it. So he did it. So he did it. So he did it. Now act like he did it. Luke chapter 6. Verse 36, or verse 35. Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He's kind to the unthankful and the evil. And that's one of the troubles with forgiveness is you want Him to be mean to the evil. You want Him to be mean to evil people. That's one of the reasons you can't forgive is you, you want them to be punished and so if you keep, it's almost this natural feeling that if I keep my unforgiveness, God will know that it's not okay and he needs to punish them. It's a weird feeling, but it's very real. You're going to have to get some scripture in you so that you don't think that way anymore. You're just hurting yourself. They say that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, thinking you're going to kill the other person. <clears throat> and then sometimes you, you have unforgiveness because somebody hurt your friend. It's like they hurt my friend, so I'm not going to ever forgive that person. You better get over that. 
Verse 36, therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So this scripture we quote a lot for all, all sorts of things is in the context of this whole loving your enemy and forgiving everybody. And if you'll do it, you'll get it back. So here's a way to assess your life. Do you have a lot of people that hold a lot of things against you? If so, you haven't been planting good seed. Because he said that if you will forgive, other people will start forgiving you. If you'll, be, if you'll be a merciful person to people, they'll be merciful back to you. So if you're not feeling very much mercy given back to you, you better check on what you've been dishing out. Whatever measure that you use going out is the measure coming back. It's just the Bible. You're going to have to like, go ahead and just change the dial and be merciful for the rest of your life. Be merciful, patient, and forgiving for the rest of your life. And watch the glory of the Lord take over on, inside your spirit. It's the only way to live. This is a sign of a true Christian right here. It's like, what advantage of it to be a Christian? You get to feel different. You get to let all troubles roll off your back. Hallelujah. So forget all your emotions. I said forget all your emotions. Just get over your emotionalism. And live by faith. But I'm so hurt. Yeah, get over that. Come to church more often. Get some big hugs from a lot of love. And then just get over yourself. But you don't understand. I don't need to understand. You have one who understands all the feeling of your infirmities. He's a high priest. He, he knows exactly what you're feeling. You got to trust that he knows the hurt. He's with you. He, he feels it. He's... He's, he's mourning with you, but he's also calling you up so he can fix you. You got to trust that he'll fix you. You got to leave the past and the hurts and, and all. You got to go run to him and trust that he's going to make you feel good on the inside again. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.